Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. With me, as always, is my co-host, Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Thursday, July 28th, and today we're going to start by talking about two huge mergers, and I guess that's all we're going to do today. Uh, first, we're going to talk about Oracle buying its little cousin, NetSuite, and then we'll talk about some deal drama over at Alir. So, Chris, let's start with NetSuite Oracle. Uh, on our June 8th podcast, we discussed Salesforce's purchase of Demandware and how that could signal more M&A to come in cloud computing. And sure enough, uh, here we are about a month and a half later, and we've got another $10 billion deal in the cloud computing space. Uh, Oracle's buying NetSuite for, NetSuite for $109 per share. I guess it's about a $9.3 billion deal. It's 20% premium to yesterday's share price, and I'll let you talk about how that 20% premium might be a little better than it seems. Yeah, you know, these industries tend to consolidate in waves, and you could be uh, uh, sympathetic to it in that there are macro forces and there are a finite number a finite number of supply in terms of the companies you can buy. But largely, I just think advisors pitch deals and managers read the Wall Street Journal and they say, hey, we should do something. And, and we've talked about it before. You know, if there, are, if there are seven companies in the industry and the first four companies do something, companies five, six, and seven are going to say, like, oh my gosh, we, we need to do that too. Everyone else is doing it. But uh, why don't you talk about the, the share price premium? Well, Oracle um, buying NetSuite, uh, the, the very first cloud company, even though Oracle's uh, CEO is earlier on uh, sort of a skeptic about the idea of cloud computing, uh, but now obviously a huge deal, uh, $109 per share, a $9.3 billion deal. It was a 20% premium. But the shares were kind of uh, very strong on the way into this announcement, up 10% yesterday before the deal was announced. Yeah, so J- July 11th, I want to say, uh, there was a tweet that said, heavy call option activity detected in the $90 calls. And then July 12th, somebody came up and said, hey, maybe this is Oracle by NetSuite, and or- NetSuite and Oracle declined to comment, sent shares up 10 to 15%, and analysts have been putting out little notes that say, it might make sense, but it's not going to be Oracle NetSuite. But sure enough, it happened, and I think the SEC is going to be looking really carefully into the people who are buying those calls. Go ahead. One of my favorite newsletters in the morning is actually a free one on Bloomberg by Matt Levine, and everybody should get yeah. it. It's fantastic. And his first rule of insider trading is just don't insider trade trade uh, illegally. But his second insider trading rule is if you have inside information about an upcoming merger, don't buy short dated out of the money yes. call options on the target. The so, probability the SEC will get you is 100% yeah. every time. <laughs> so these guys bought uh, the $90 calls for about 40 cents a call. Those calls are worth $19. So what? That's a 40, 50x return on those calls right there. The SEC is going to be knocking on someone's it, door real quickly. It, it would be like a bank robber who has a bicycle as a getaway car like it's just a bad tactic and, and obviously uh everyone all the advisors should be looking for who's leaking these deals because in order to know a deal's happening it has to be leaked uh in order for you to buy those calls so they should be looking for the leaks but chris i you said uh netsuite is we called it oracle's little cousin mm-hmm. do you want to dive into why uh netsuite's oracle's little cousin oracle's founder uh chairman larry ellison owns 27 percent of oracle worth a lot of money uh and uh he's also netsuite's largest investor owns 40 percent of netsuite's stock yeah so netsuite was uh their ceo what is zach nelson mm-hmm. and he ran oracle's marketing ops in the 90s mm-hmm. so 
Larry Ellison, I believe he fa- he helped found this company. His capital put it over. He owns forty percent of the company, and now Oracle is buying them out. He already owns twenty seven percent of Oracle. And you know that's really interesting because we've talked before about conflicts of interest where someone sits on both sides of the table. And in this case, Larry Ellison, he's Oracle's chairman. He owns twenty seven percent of them. He's NetSuite's biggest. Uh, he's NetSuite's biggest investor with forty percent. He's kind of sitting on both sides of the deal, and that raises really big questions of conflicts of interest. Go ahead. I mean, he has a lot of interest at stake. It's not certain to me that it's a conflict. If you look at the last twenty Oracle deals, they've never been topped. Yep. So he's been the high bidder every time. Um, and uh, and I suspect he will be this time. He's also possibly the uh, humanity's most competitive person. Um, stop me if I've said this in the pod before, but he was on one of the deals I've worked at in the past. Um, I talked to one of his lieutenants and said, is he really going to go forward with this? And the answer is, well, it depends. Oh, yeah, yeah. It depends. If he wins America's Cup this year, he'll be satisfied. But if he loses, he's then he's going to crush this business because he needs a win. So, you know, in some ways, this reminds me of the Tesla Solar City deal that we mentioned in our June 24th podcast, where there's one guy on both sides of the table. But I, I don't. Look, he paid a very full price for NetSuite, and we're going to talk about that in a second. It's nine times revenue, big price. But a lot of people have come out and said, like, there's no way a top and bid will come through because he, they know they'd have to go through him, and he wouldn't approve. He wouldn't approve of it. So. Full price, but I still do think there are very reasonable claims of conflicts of interest. And I don't know Oracle's history too well. A lot of people have said this is not the first time he's gone and bought out a company that he's the biggest investor in. Go ahead. I would also just add that I can, from a distance, understand the economics of this deal better than I can the Tesla uh, Solar City deal. Like it is a little more rational in terms of the synergies and so forth that you can really make it. Pretty compelling argument. Yeah. So, so Tesla Solar City, the only one who understands the uh, the synergies and economics there is pretty much Elon Musk. Which, I, you know, if Elon Musk is the only one who understands it, I would kind of lean towards Elon Musk's side. But in this case, it does make a lot of sense. Netsuite is a leader in cloud enterprise software. They're very strong with medium sized companies where Oracle has kind of struggled. Netsuite struggled with bigger companies. A lot of people think Oracle can help them there. There's going to be obvious synergies from combining R and D, pushing things through their Salesforce and customer list. But, you know, just because a deal makes sense doesn't mean it's a good deal. This is a very expensive deal. Nine times forward revenue, 11 times trailing revenue. It's among the most expensive takeovers over the past few years. Uh, It's slightly more expensive than the Salesforce demand where deal that happened earlier this year. So it's the most expensive software deal so far this year. And NetSuite's not even profitable. You know, they're profitable if you exclude stock compensation, but they're not even profitable. So there is a lot to prove that this deal makes sense at this price. Uh, Any last thoughts here? Nothing to Okay, so with that covered, why don't we turn to our second deal? This is a Lear Abbott, which both of us thought we had mentioned on the podcast, but we can't find the podcast we mentioned it on, so maybe we haven't. Maybe we just talked well, to each other too I, much. I, I'm, I'm sure in the weeks ahead we can bring it back up again and we can say another shoe drop, yeah. because this is one where there are shoes <laughs> dropping. Kind of, there's like the weekly shoe that's yep. dropping. So Abbott uh, announced the deal to acquire a Lear for $56 per share in late January. And since then, as Chris mentioned, Shoes have been dropping left and right. Uh, Let's see. Almost immediately, they start dropping. So first, they can't file their financials on time due to, and I'm putting it in air quote, revenue recognition issues, which anyone who invests in stocks knows, never a good thing when you have revenue recognition issues. But sometimes it can be on the smaller side. But then immediately after that, they get hit with a DOJ subpoena looking at them for foreign corrupt practices uh, issues. 
Right after that, Abbott CEO comes out and he refuses to reaffirm their merger merger plans to buy Allier, which you don't want to hear the company that's buying you saying, eh, we will do it if they force us to. Uh, and then Allier had to put out a press release that said Abbott offered to pay them $50 million if they let them walk away free and clear. $50 million on a $8.6 billion debt deal with all the debt included is not a big breakup fee. Earlier this month, Alir had a big product recall. And then finally, yesterday, there's a Washington or a Wall Street Journal article that comes out and says they're also getting investigated for uh, fraud by the Department of Justice. So that's about five bad things in a month. Revenue recognition, fraud, foreign corrupt practices, and your buyer trying to walk away. So, Chris, why don't uh, you talk a little bit about cockroach theory, opportunities, whatever you want to go. Yeah, at some point, you know, uh, the people that get involved in certain problems, it's not just counting up the instances. I mean, I say, you know, liars lie, thieves steal, and if they do it once or twice, uh, once or twice is a poor estimate of how frequently. So once you get to things that are really uh, deeply uh, issues of character and composition of a given organization, there are environments, I mean, I always just use the word toxic for just, it's going to stay back. Now, the flip side is that some of these issues are fairly finite. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act sounds diabolical. Uh, they're typically settleable. They're typically settleable just for a fairly small amount of money. And we're the only country in the world that has this issue, which is basically you have to follow our laws, even in other countries yep. that relate to corruption. So if you're at, in some small country in Africa, it might be very typical for you to bribe the port authority mm -hmm. to let your ships come in. And that's because the port authority, the only way he can make a living is off of bribes because the government doesn't pay him, right? Well, if you're an American company and you do that bribe, which is kind of a cost of doing business, and we've heard this from a lot of companies, especially in the Middle East, cost of doing business is to give a bribe. If you do that as an American company, you're held to American standards, not Middle Eastern standards. It's a little ugly American to say like, well, we have these rules, so therefore humans on planet Earth have to follow them. It's kind of like the girl in the Indiana Jones movie who's yelling, I'm an American, I'm an American, yeah. as if like that's supposed to preempt what's done everywhere else and by all of your other country. So, you know, it's, it's unclear how big a deal it's going to be. It is clear that the buyer wants out and the buyer is handed new ammunition almost weekly it seems, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to get out. So I, I think that, uh, and all of this segues into the point, these issues sound bad, they are bad, but the question is the degree to their bad, and if the buyer is going to be able to walk away. So it's clear Abbott wants out. Mm -hmm. What is not clear is in a merger, it's not like you and I decide to, you and I decide to get married, and, because we can do that now. Yeah, we <laughs> well, you'd have to divorce Elizabeth first, but <laughs> we can do that. And you can't just call it off the next day, right? There's a legal contract both parties can call it off if they agree, but Alir wants this deal done, and Alir has a legal contract that says Abbott has to buy them for $56 per share if they hit all their conditions. Uh, they haven't breached the contract yet. Even if Abbott wants to get away, there's a legal contract that says they must do it. Go ahead. Contracts are for problems. If everything goes well, you don't need the contract. Yeah. You just bumble along and then you agree later. Uh, in this case, uh, the merger agreement has not been perfected. They haven't done all of the, they haven't satisfied the conditions. Mm -hmm. They do not claim they have yet to satisfy the conditions. Yep. Um, so a couple things are going to happen. And uh, we enjoy talking about these kind of thematically. It's always fact specific. If they fail to satisfy the conditions, Alir will do nothing. They will not give a molecule of generosity beyond their duties. They will walk and they'll walk scot-free. Abbott will walk. Abbott will walk. And if they're able to succeed at what Alir believes to be fulfilling their duties under the merger agreement, it's reasonable to expect, and I'm kind of certain of this, Abbott will then 
end up in court to walk away. It'll yep. we'll let, 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 let's talk opportunity and then we'll get there. Sure. So the opportunity is shares today are trading for about $37 per share. Mm-hmm. The deal is the deal is at $56 per share, yep. $19 spread, huge spread, almost 50%, 50% of that match. Uh, 150% IRR. You would be, if this deal happens and you invested in it, you're a genius, you're the happiest person on earth. Uh, what we are saying here is a lot of these issues, while they are bad, they have not breached the merger contract and they are all solvable. For instance, uh, Alir has not filed their financial statements yet. You don't have to file your financial statements on time. You can file them late and it's not a breach of the merger contract. As long as they can file them at some point in the next couple of months, they haven't breached the, fi- the merger contract and Abbott will have to close on them eventually. Uh, the Medicare fraud investigation was an awful headline, but it comes down to the fraud investigation relates to one office that is quote, significantly less than 1% of revenues. And it was so small that Alir wasn't going to disclose it until a Wall Street Journal article broke yesterday. It does raise the question of who leaked to the Wall Street Journal that there was this awfully small Medicare investigation. Go ahead. It rhymes with Babbitt. It, 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 it was very possibly Babbitt. Uh, the medical device recall was for a device that Alir has been having issues with since 2014 and was basically discontinued. So all of these things sound bad. Abbott clearly wants to go away, but none of these things breach the contract. And right now you're kind of making a bet that the contract will go through. Go ahead. The standard on this, and they talk about materiality and material adverse change, is typically something like 5% of the value for a durationally significant period of time, yeah. which I usually take to be about two years or so. So even a bad earnings miss by 5%. Not earnings misses are excluded. Earnings the misses are excluded from them. Um, but that, so it has to be significant. It has to be durable. Um, but you also have to look at the baseline of what the buyer should have known when the deal was done. Yeah. And I always like to say on a definitive merger agreement, be specific. This is the prenup. Put everything in there. Otherwise, you go to what's called parole evidence, which is looking at the circumstances mm-hmm. and the conversations behind the scene to see if Abbott knew what they were buying in Alir. A lot of these problems you should have had a very good sense of. Yep, yep. So uh, at this point, exactly what you're saying, especially I believe the, the Foreign Corrupt Practices investigations, I think there's pretty good evidence that Abbott probably had some idea they were there. So excluded from the merger, Abbott can't walk. I think you and I both agree the most likely case is Alir files their financials and then Abbott immediately sues and they go to court. Abbott tries to get out the deal. Uh, deal. Alir for, tries to force it to go through. Alir would probably win in that case. But what's probably going to happen is there's going to be some settlement where Abbott pays a lot of money to Alir to get out the deal. Uh, let's talk the other reason we think this is an opportunity. I think that's because we think there's vi- there's some downside, but very limited downside. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you jump into it and I can add on. Um, you know, I think that now that we're talking about uh, uh, a stock in the 30s, you know, people, when they say safe, I think many times they mean conventional or predictable. I mean kind of how much money you have to lose yeah. permanently. And as every dollar it goes down, you have one fewer dollar to lose. And in this case, it's probably worth somewhere in the 30s. Uh, A friend of mine who I like and greatly respect uh, was uh, being uh, uh, on uh, Twitter was saying, oh, it could be worth $15 a share with with horrendous regulatory overhang. But he was being dramatic. He was being a diva about this. It's probably worth at least 30. So the way I've looked at it is, uh, look... Alir shares were at about $38 per share the day before the deal was announced. That was late January, which anyone who can remember that far back six months ago, the stock market was melting down then. If you just looked at how peers have traded since then, Alir stock would be worth about $45 per share. 
if we looked at what peers are trading for, most of them are trading for, let's call it 12 to 13 times earnings. If a Lear traded for that, it would be 45 to $50 per share. Now with these issues, a Lear would deserve a discount, no question. But we've seen situations like this, it would probably deserve about a two turns on earnings uh, discount. And that would put a Lear share count, share price somewhere in the low 30s. Mm-hmm. So when you're buying at $37, you're saying, all right, I'm, I'm risking, let's call it $5 of downside for $19 of upside, the market's pricing in a 25% chance of this deal happening or you know something good, ha- something pretty bad happening. And we think it's a lot higher than that based on the contract. Go ahead. Also, um, if you look at the number of publicly traded securities overall, and then you look at the number of broken deal targets, the number of broken deal targets that get put back into a deal within the subsequent 36 months is massively disproportionate. Yeah. If it made sense to do one strategically, and it's governed either by a management willing to sell, that's progressive thinking about deal alternatives, or a new one. Um, I only once in my life was in a situation where I had a huge position in something that was collapsing in a deal situation where we didn't know how bad it would be, but the one thing we knew it was, was bad uh, that involved a medical device that got an overbid right in the middle of the disaster. And the one thing we didn't expect was it was going to be good for us, and it was. Uh, but um, but these, these these broken deals tend to unbreak within the next few years. In this case, uh, you know, one thing you can tell is if a contract is very tight, it's generally the res- It was a big premium deal with a very tight contract, and that's generally the result of a very well-shopped company. And I believe on the conference call, I'd have to go check my notes, I believe they said Allure was very well-shopped. So that means there was active bidding, High premium with tight contract means there was very active bidding and a board willing to sell. If this breaks, yeah, Lear's going to have to go through the FCPA. It'll take them a year or so. But there's probably going to be another target who's really excited to get their hands on a Lear's assets. I'll give you the last 10 seconds to wrap it up. Uh, weak agreements is a two-for problem because you had bad leverage. Strong agreements like this is a two-for benefit because you have the strong piece of paper and you had the circumstances where you had the leverage to insist on it and that can come back. And the backup options. All right, so that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, a reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. I don't think this is going to surprise anyone based on the last 10 minutes of talk, but we are both long a leer. Chris, are you still short Tesla and Solar City? Short Solar City, short Tesla, long a Tesla deposit. Long a Tesla deposit, excellent. I can't wait to ride around in your uh, Model 3. So uh, both long a Lear, uh, Chris, short Tesla and Solar City, and we will talk to you guys next week.